GM friends and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. Uh, we're recording this on the 29th of July and the year goes by so fast now that I say that. Anyway, we have myself, Nico, Philip Collins and Devin Becker. Um, today we're talking about um, yeah, I have some, some, some things to report on my end, some insights, some cool things that I saw. We have the Magic Cave Rays. Um, we're going to talk about a bit about Star Atlas versus Illuvium debates. We're talking about Open Metaverse Alliance, Mighty Action Games race. So, um, you know, as usual, enough to happen. Enough happened last week. Um, how are you guys doing? Good man. Just busy. I'm tired from from work, but that's a good that's a good tired right. So, the Web three gaming never stops, man. It, it doesn't. No, they put on the clock. And honestly, I work with so few people in the U.S. that it's like never in my time zone. Uh, but oh. I mean, it is a little bit because of my night schedule. But at the same time, it's like it's it's crazy. Mm. For sure. Yeah. Same same on our side. We we just announced our our fun three within the last two Congrats. weeks. And so since announcing mm, that, that, we've kind of had a rush of um, you know just startups that are that are looking for capital. So definitely, I'm gonna come up with one and start pitching things. you. I, I want some of that money. Sounds good. Always open. Doors open. <laughs> That's how it um, works. So yeah, very very busy despite everything you hear about the the bear market slowing things down. Yeah. So you you know publicly announced raising a new fund to invest in Web three around Web three gaming, and you get a rush of new inbounds. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's how it works. Interesting. It makes sense. <laughs> it's funny because VC. It's like when when you're when you're a VC fund and you announce a new fund, you're basically a beacon saying we have money oh, yeah. that we want to deploy that's the dinner bell man and so yeah it is the dinner bell so it's, it's a good it's a good thing it's 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 really exciting to see everything coming in and we all we keep okay. calling this like a builder's market and there's still a lot of really cool teams building really cool things so it's it's promising yeah i'm curious right because like in the end you try to um deploy the capital of a fund over like a few years and so actually like the the moment you announce your raise you just raise the fund doesn't really make things different like there's not a lot of VCs, at least none that I know of, that have times where they're like, we're not deploying capital. So you're basically <laughs> deploying for one fund. When you come to that end, you get like start raising a next fund so you can just continue deploying capital. So in the end, nothing changed. It feels like teams that are experienced in venture should know that. So is it is it that the average quality of the teams contacting you now is lower or what are your thoughts? No, I mean, I think it's, it's still a big mix. I mean, the the... the the quality is always just going to vary based on volume. I think you're going to get more at both extremes and everything in the middle. And so I think we're seeing everything. I would say the, the, the mix is probably relatively comparable. You just get a little bit more of everything okay. along the entire spectrum. Okay. Um, good. Let's get into it. So one thing I wanted to flag, and it's, it's just, you know, it just I, I think it fits what we're doing at the Future of Gaming. It's an interesting application of like Web3 and, and land. Um, essentially, it is a game, and they're selling land, and people actually play on land, and the landowners are responsible for like um, time-bound or time-limited events on their land, and so essentially, um, it is live ops to earn, if that makes sense. Where hmm. you know the landowners are incentivized to actually organize like new things to keep the players on their lands engaged and, and and keeping them to spend money and you know i found that it, it's not like ground shattering right um but it's um i thought it was an interesting approach and uh and, and smart sounds like reverse land value tax kind of thing like what what lars was writing about was that idea of the land value tax where it's like you're trying to incentivize people to be using the land actively by taxing whereas yes. in this case it's yes. like the opposite where you're incentivizing instead right if i understood correctly um it's more Correct. like a bonus um but you're not punished if you just sit on the land right you're just you're just missing out on money yes 100 percent correct that's a really good way to look at it i, I didn't see it that way but it, you're right so and th indeed instead of negatively taxing people for not doing anything you're rewarding people if they do something and it creates this interesting meta game as well where it's also like kind of competitive and you know you can be the best land owner with the best events and then people like flock to you and, and if they flock to you and the more they spent it was i found it um you know good idea right it is typically like it is this typical thing of you're using tokens to incentivize the behavior that you want to see um and so um 
Yeah, I find it interesting. Still not going to In that case, yeah, I mean, in that case, are they incentivizing quality content or like the volume of content that you're able to pump out? Sounds like engagement, right? Yeah, if I create one really fun thing that keeps people coming back, am I still rewarded as well as somebody that creates five pretty compelling things that kind of keeps people coming back at the maybe a, the, the same rate as one really great experience? So I want to be mindful of not going too much into the details of this, but the um, in the end, like, I guess the game doesn't really decide who is doing best. It's literally like the more you can keep the players on your land engaged and specifically mm -hmm. spending or watching ads, the, that, that's like the, the measure of success. I guess. Got it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you do it with one event or multiple events, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, yeah, th there's a lot of nuances here. I, I don't think it's like, because it sounds like UGC, right? But I think there's less of UGC component than, um, well, at least in the beginning. So um, yeah, let's see how it plays out. But I found it like uh, an interesting use case and a tidbit. I wanted out there so people could uh, find some inspiration, uh, perhaps. Yeah, it does sound like a devil's in the details kind of thing, though, like where like the success that really might come down to some of those details. But at the same time, like at least at least someone trying to do something a little bit different with land is good. I'm not necessarily like bullish on the idea where I'd be like, oh, that's the way to solve it. But it, I, yeah. I'd rather see people trying ideas, whether they work or not, than not trying ideas and just being like, let's just sell land. Um, yeah. But the idea of selling land, I think, is just one of those things that's like rarely going to be a good thing unless someone comes up with a really, really novel idea. But who knows? Like, I'm, I'm down to see it. Like, as long as I don't have to buy the land and see what happens myself, I'm, I'm down to watch mm -hmm. from a distance <laughs> and try it. Mm -hmm. 100%. That's, uh, that's a recurring theme. And, you know, I think there's some enough of things you can do with land to make it more fair and less like physical land, because that's kind of what we want to avoid. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll keep, keep everyone up to date um, on that here, because that is a problem that needs to be solved. Cool. Anyway, um, next small thing that i wanted to mention um i think i said this last week or the week before um i was a judge in the matchbox hackathon matchbox is a kind of um game tooling incubator on stark net so they're working with starkware company stark net is a zk rollup we don't have to go into that again we already did um but um and i was talking about you know the the advantages of using a zk rollup so one, there's scalability. Two, there's ZK technology, which means like you can obfuscate things on chain. Um, and then there's also this third thing that, which I still don't fully understand, which is called account abstraction. And I'm still looking for people to explain that to me on the podcast. Um, anyway, one of the projects, actually the project that won that hackathon was called Tic Tac Bot. And it was on chain training of AI. So an AI that lived on chain and that you could train on chain you know um and so they for example and and they even had two ais trained against each other on the on the blockchain so the, the basically the, the example that they had was tic-tac-toe and so two uh, ais playing against each other and like learning that way and so um yeah it's it's like in um i i linked a video so the guys the, the presentation of the guys that built it i, I linked it in um in our discord in the general chat so you can have, have a look there and um yeah it's, it's just it's interesting and i think i feel like um and i haven't really thought this through enough but there's some really cool and interesting things you can do with this it, it makes me think of that discord conversation and the taxonomy stuff that we keep going about uh, on there the the on-chain versus off-chain thing and i wonder like yes. as as you're every time you're saying on-chain it always makes me wonder how much of that is 100 percent accurate because like we when we talk about on-chain stuff, a lot of the times there is things left off. Like for example, we think of most of the time people think of like PFPs as being on-chain. It's like no, really, their picture is somewhere else. Um, and I think those kind of details, like I don't I don't know how we you know suss that out. Like in terms of like determining how we talk about that without just adding tons of caveats. And I know that's like part of that taxonomy conversation. But it just yeah. especially with the zk stuff is where I really start thinking about like, okay, when we're talking about on chain, like we really need to probably like, and I'm not saying right now, but in general, like that's something that really needs to be maybe fleshed out a little bit more is how we determine what we mean when we say on chain in terms of like, yeah. are we talking about code? Cause like, if we're talking about just like 100% pure smart contract code, 
that's on chain like that's okay that's one thing and then it's like okay well is but is the game data on chain is is the client doing stuff that's not on chain and then sending stuff to the chain and it it, it gets very complicated and messy and i don't want to necessarily like dive into that area but that's what i keep thinking about when you when you keep talking about the this on chain or not and i think that's that's something that's going to be a a very interesting conversation over the years because i think there's going to be this huge divergence where some people are going to be really like we don't care what's on chain and there's going to be people that are like, we only want to see stuff on chain. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, that in-between area is going to be tricky to navigate, I think. From a marketing standpoint, even, when it comes to, like, community building and trying to attract, like, like more of the purest, maximalist kind of people or just the general person that doesn't care at all. Yeah, 100%. So when I use the word on chain, uh, I'm, I'm pretty purist on that. And so I, I usually mean that logic actually happens on the blockchain. And I think that's the case in this, um, in this example as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know much about AI, so I can't go into the details, but I think, you know, having bots that you can, like, you can have live on chain and then players can actually train them and they get rewarded for training them and, and stuff like that, I think is, is fascinating. Um, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, the, the intuitive use cases are like pretty, pretty like lame, but uh, it feels like you can do some really, really, really cool stuff with it if you think it through and if you actually like yeah do something interesting i wonder if there's kill switches though like when it gets out of control can you unplug it when it's on the on the chain right like you got to have that like kill switch emergency switch there because otherwise it lives forever in theory right yeah maybe it should Um, i don't know so interesting we'll get that google engineer to like or or whatever the ethics guy to to get involved right and see if you can get fired from this project too we can um maybe you need to like okay you need everyone needs to pool resources like okay you know there's there's a there's a, a killer ai living on the ethereum blockchain and we need to pull together 10,000 eth to kill it um <laughs> it's yeah. like a it's like a dao but like a murder dao exactly it's like it's just stealing nfts you know stealing apes away from yeah. you know, other apes oh yeah like the like the the wallet thing from solana yeah totally <laughs> good um all right so that was the 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 short news okay so I'll let you guys do do something, talk about something before I go into um, what I'm most excited about this week. Let's sure. go. You want to go, Phil? Devin, you want to you want to talk about okay, something? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I was I was pretty excited to see that uh, Mighty Action Heroes finally announced their stuff because we've been talking to them for a while, and uh, I think they're a really cool uh, company, like with with some good ideas. So that they, they it's it's uh, Mighty Bear Games, and their game is Mighty Action Heroes. I find it, find it a little confusing to talk about because of the mighty part being in both, but basically like. They're, they're launching into a genre that I think is going to be interestingly somewhat crowded, which is the idea of like mobile battle royales, or in this case, it'll start on the web, but like eventually be a mobile battle royale that's like, um, you know, got blockchain stuff involved. And I think that's going to be like a weirdly like semi crowded genre because I know, for example, of two other ones, like one of them's Blast Royale, that's also well known. And I've also spoken to mm-hmm. them and they're like, both of them are like really smart teams with smart people and doing interesting, but like, like similar, but also different stuff. So it's interesting to see like a genre like that because we, we think of, you know, battle Royale often as like this desktop or console kind of thing. And then like people started doing some mobile battle Royales, but like a lot of times they were like PUBG and these other ones are Garena or whatever that were bringing over kind of the PC style. But then you've got these sort of top down ones like Zuba and some of these other ones trying to do this very like casual battle Royale. But it's interesting that there's like an attraction for battle Royale to go to the blockchain on mobile. Like that's kind of, that's I found that kind of a weird convergence, and maybe it's because like battle royales also kind of like limit the number of people sort of winning. Uh, it's not a team based game necessarily. Usually, it's like kind of one person takes all sort of thing. So maybe there's something there about like trying to reward people in a way that doesn't reward everyone. Uh, it, it depends. I, I I'm not sure exactly how these rewards are going to go in all these games. And I know some of them are still tinkering with economies. Uh, part of the reason I have faith in the the mighty. Uh, Actually, here's one is uh, Mark L. Arnold, their, uh, their economist uh, and Web3 guy, I know is very smart and, and looking to make sure to, to learn from everything out there. Uh, so I have some faith that the, they'll adapt as needed before it comes out. Uh, but I do, I do find it an interesting series of problems they're trying to solve with other things too, like NFT equipment and whether or not like there's, there's decay to that or, or um, durability stuff. Uh, like how do you limit the, the amount people play or the rewards? It's uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch them like deal with those problems in real time, and like maybe they'll all kind of come out around the same time. We'll see if they just uh, are all competing on the market. 
Uh, but it is an interesting strategy too that they're going to go uh, web first and then move to mobile. But that does make sense when you deal with the fact that like wallets are a lot easier to, to deal with on web. And I wonder if we'll see that because we're seeing like more of a reverse of that right now in the in the mobile market, right? Where uh, mobile companies are going mobile first and then moving to a desktop app, like for 4X games, stuff like that. Uh, and this is like going the other direction because it's web three. And I wonder if that might be a common path for web three. You get like the early play testers, the beta test on the web and stuff like that and then move. But the controls are so different, you know? Like I, I do wonder how well that will translate over in terms of like, moving those those across like that because usually you don't get a lot of that other direction outside of like when we went from facebook canvas games to mobile games you know you had a lot of games moving that direction but that was like casual games and these are more like action-oriented casual games yeah one thing i do think is really interesting about on-chain battle royales or i guess they use on-chain carefully with nico (laughs) yes but (laughs) we don't say that here if we don't really mean it philip but battle royales that are leveraging blockchain i'll I'll keep it more general is incorporating the concept of risk. And I think part of that is to Devin's point on, you know, there's finite winners and we always see in like Plato and like, not everyone should be able to win. Like that's just not how it, that's just not sustainable over time. Um, but I think we've seen a bunch of different battle royale risk models, such as, you know, wagering money to get into the game and like BR1. the top five. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a, that's a great example of that model. Um, you know, wagering a fixed amount of dollars and a select, select number of people come out and, and take a, a disproportionate amount of the pool going into a game with certain assets. And if you die with those assets on you, they're just gone. Um, so there's an element of risk in losing NFTs, for example. And, and so I do think there, there is a, an interesting use case for risk for a maybe more sustainable earning model that's really more based on skill than what we've seen in the past. Um, and it's just, a, it's just generally a really hot genre. But I mean, I think to, to really separate yourselves in battle royales today, you either A, have to have a killer IP that's bringing people into it, like a Warzone, for example, where there doesn't need to be that much original, but it has the Call of Duty name. And so that's automatically going to be ex- extremely compelling. And that's coming to mobile or as B, well, I believe. Uh... Yeah. Or B, have really, really interesting, unique game experiences, game mechanics and whatnot. And so I'll be curious to see where, where Mighty Bear takes that. But there are a lot of cool things I think you can do with blockchain in battle royales specifically. I've um, I've always had a, I've always struggled to see the value that blockchain technology brings to specifically competitive first-person shooters or shooters in general. Just because it's so like balance of guns is so important in these games that like if you try to sell stronger guns, it right. just makes the game almost like impossible to play. Um, and so the only solution for that would be like a Tarkov style game where you know if Extraction. you die you lose your weapon right. and, exactly that's uh, what um, shrapnel's so, model is going to be essentially yeah so that's something that i can intuitively see work um you know on the other hand there's obviously like you could go csgo style and just have skins as nfts um which i don't know it's it's like okay that's it's not super interesting to me but it's it's um it's also something you could do right i just don't see how they could be put inside the game with utility um and balanced yeah, I mean, the, the problem with what you were saying about just CSGO skins on chain, right? Yes, you have real digital asset ownership, and that's always been seen as one of the one of the core use cases of NFTs. But I don't think that moves the needle for getting Web3 haters on the other side. It's I just agree. like, it, it's pretty incremental. And so even though there is incremental value there, there just has to be more to get people excited and flip the sides. Um, and so that's where I Couldn't think integrating into gameplay is is really important, and you have to go one step deeper to have a chance at bringing people over that just genuinely don't trust or believe in what you're building. That's why I'm surprised we don't see more of MOBAs rather than Battle Royales, because that seems like a, a better fit with the idea of like character ownership, whereas like you don't really have characters to own in Battle Royales, right? And you also don't usually even own equipment or anything else. You pick up everything on the fly. In the, in the traditional battle royale, the extraction genre is a little bit different, right? Like when, when you start to go towards Tarkov or what Shrapnel's doing. Uh, but there's not a ton of extraction games. And, and I, I don't know outside of Shrapnel of any being uh, done on the blockchain. And that one does also make more sense. So it is weird to see like a genre where typically you own nothing when you play to, to then be like even, even Call of Duty Mobile, like trying to do cosmetics for battle royale like oftentimes depends on what you get in that in that actual match whether or not you even get to see your cosmetic so it's it's kind of a weird tricky genre to be picking that's why i find it odd as opposed to mobas which seems like such a strong fit 
yet I don't feel like we're seeing a lot of MOBA stuff come over. I mean, MOBAs in general, like, are a really hard market to, to do. Like, you know, League of Legends, uh, you know, has its huge, huge audience. But even, like, stuff like Pokemon Unite with strong IP has really struggled to get traction. And, and, and you'd think Pokemon can sell anything, right? Like, especially after Pokemon Go. And, and so it's just... It is it is interesting to see like and this is what I was hoping to see as more mobile developers come on board and stuff like that is genre fits and seeing where genre fits hit with web 3 and whether or not like business models work cuz that idea of like quote unquote true ownership or financialization or these other things that web 3 brings like how do those interact with these different game genres and do they clash is there is there new innovations that come out of it and I hope that's the case, but I don't expect that, honestly, for, like, at least a couple of years. Because if you look at the history of mobile or web games, like, the actual innovation takes a little while to kind of hit. Like, you'll get one or two, and then every copy, everyone copy and paste to play it safe at first. But then, like, like the true innovation where people, like, really grasp it uh, takes a while. It reminds me of, like, when Sony was, like, trying to say, like, oh, we made the, we made the PS3 complicated. So, like, the late stage games, they'll, they'll really have figured it out. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out great yeah, for them. This- but. This, this is interesting because it's actually something that Nico and I were talking in another conversation earlier this week around how a lot of infrastructure providers are building their own games to show off the right. capabilities of things because if they don't, they know that the full value isn't going to be extracted from the tools that they're right. providing. You almost have to go out and say like, here's what we can do. And I think the entire development community in Web3 is effectively doing that well, together. Look, it's of, mutable, right? Here's what you can do with blockchain. Yeah. Exactly. It's like Immutable was just doing it as a way to like have uh, less friction around NFT trading. Yet all of a sudden they ended up building like this huge blockchain thing around it. And I mean, they still mostly only have one game at the moment live on it, but it's still like, again, yeah, maybe this, this idea of like these, this demo where sort of like for these uh, different pieces of technology where you need to kind of show it off, like as opposed to, um, you know, say take like Epic, right? Like Unreal Engine wasn't built necessarily to be an engine. Originally it was built to make the game unreal like that was the game like but then they built up the technology and a lot of game engines came from that where they just like you know they were building a game and they were like wow we spent so much time making this like we might as well reuse this and then you know what it's so useful let's sell it to other people and so it's like the the other way around where you start with like the game and then you realize like there's things you could sell off of it and we've seen that quite a bit even like um metanomic like the thing that's kind of looking to sort of semi-compete with like machinations for economy modeling tweaking stuff they were like building a web 3 game uh for their you know there's this space game uh which is you know of course always a great genre that leads to lots of finished products and um and so they uh but they they built this economy technology off it and they're like wow this is so useful we should you know make this into its own thing and like there's that side of things and then there's the side you're talking about where it's like well we need to make people understand the capability of this technology so we better build something that shows it and it's it's always interesting to see like the success or not of those two different models and i feel like the model where you you build something like build something first and then sell the technology from it is generally better because like you built it uh, you ate your own dog food you built something you needed rather than built built a problem and or built a solution and then, and then looked for a problem because uh, that's what it's like when you're building a game for your technology is you're, is you're trying to demonstrate the problems, essentially. Yes. Um, talking about building new things, now it's time for me to tell... Smooth transition. Um, big news. The raise of this week, or the announcement of the raise of this week, is that um, a company called Magic Cave has raised, um, I think, a total $6.4 million um, to build digital hobbies and digital toys um, and so we led their series seed rounds i was um very 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 closely involved with that raise um and yeah it's some it's one i'm super excited about i did a recording with two of the co-founders uh, harry and Steve, um when i was in brighton a few weeks ago um, and you can watch that on the on the navic channel or uh, the Navic uh, podcast playlist on the Metacast. Um, anyway, so what they're doing, um, and you know, you should hear the pitch because they pitch it better than me, um, is they see the fact that you can take a, a assets out of a game onto the blockchain. They see it as a um, a way to make things feel more physical, right? You know, traditionally inside of games, the thing lives inside the game and you can't do anything with it. And so, you know, it feels more, it feels digital, right? But because you can take it away and you can take it and almost hold it, right? You can have it in your wallets. Um, they see it as a thing that, that makes, um, um, yeah, objects feel more more physical and more, like, playful, more real. Right. And so the, their idea is they have a bunch of primitives that are toys 
on which they're going to build like different experiences um, and then let people also like create uh, their own experiences. And the first iteration of their product will be a, um, a ecosystem which you could compare to uh, Dungeons and Dragons a bit, where they have like dice, they have characters, they have like tiles, a sense of location and stories. Um, and you know you're going to have these. And you know you should really look at the website magicave.io. These assets they look absolutely insane. Um, they're beautiful, like literally beautiful. They're all like procedurally generated. They're all unique. Um, you know they can have like little something wrong with them. Um, and so you know the, just the way they're thinking about this is 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 fantastic. And I'm uh, I'm super excited to get my hands on some dice, uh, but also you know play play around with them with the, and the games that they're building. As this well. reminds me of the Mattel conversation that we had a, a few weeks back. I don't remember what week it was, but it was a similar kind of idea of like toys in in games obviously there were more specific like in that that was their branded toys right whereas magic caves trying to go a, a bit more general like not necessarily specific brands stuff and and i always like the idea but like you we, we brought this up before this idea of skewmorphism and some some pros and cons to that but the the issue that i always have and i have this issue with virtual reality or metaverses um, all this virtual stuff, I love virtual physical stuff and all that. I think that's awesome. But the problem is the the affordances aren't there. And, and what I mean is like the, the ability to interact with digital objects with say a keyboard or mouse or a controller or a VR controller or hand tracking, like they're all limited in their own ways, right? And they, first off, we don't have the haptic, haptic feedback for most of them, even with like vibrational stuff, right? So the, the, the sort of physicality is lost there, even if you add physics, even if you add rules and, and ways of interacting. And so just, just the natural affordances you get with a physical object like, are lost a bit. And I think that's something that obviously like all of these platforms need to solve, right? It's not like a magic cave problem, but it is something they're going to run pretty headfirst into when they go like, you can play with this. And then they, well, people go like, what does that mean? It reminds me of like, I remember when action figures would talk about, like they brag about the number of articulation points that they have, like how many joints can you bend essentially on this thing? Those were like the different affordances, right? Like high level of uh, articulation is like high level of, of detail and affordances. Like that's how much you can play with this toy is based off how much you can move around. Or like Legos is, is technically not about how, mu how much you can assemble the pieces so much as how much you can disassemble them. Uh, and, and so it's such a hard problem to solve, but I do think like it needs to be brought up in terms of like people need to start thinking about I, I, I've talked about this a lot of like the press F to do stuff problem where so many of these interaction games, you just press F or E and then it just triggers an animation. And we consider that an interaction. And realistically, it's always just an animation playing. It's never really an interaction. And we've lost like so much. We, we have so little detail in what we can do interactively with just the, the inner uh, the interfaces that we have. Um, and I do hope we add more, like we can always do things like with lots more different stuff, like eye tracking is starting to become a thing. And like, there's, there's lots of ways to pull in like our physicality, but it's like at the end of the day, unless we, unless we get to like really good AR, uh, with like some kind of haptic feedback or really good VR, we're always going to be like a little bit short. And so like, there is a downside to skeuomorphism, which is like promising a level of affordance you can't actually reach right now. And so like, there is a, there is a bit of a downside there in to, to trying to translate physical elements into a non-physical space. Um, I don't mean we shouldn't push that, that we shouldn't try and go there, but I do think it's worth recognizing like there, there is a little bit of a promise that can't be kept right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although I, I do think that because of the limitations of hardware, you know, the innovation will not really happen on the, you know, haptic feedback side, but more on like what you can do. I with hope them. so. Um, and so the, the, the way I'm, uh, they're thinking about this is, for example, like the moment they issue their assets and they're going to start with these dice is there's going to be like a mini game, which is just going to be a dice roller that you could play like any dice related game with on your own, um, with your own dice that you own. And so, you know, they, they're that like the, the game itself will not like it's never going to be a hit. Right. It's literally just a dice roller, but they just want to like emphasize the fact that I mean these are yours and they already have use and it's limited use but you can actually use them in different ways than you can use most uh, collections and, and NFTs um, so yeah it's um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by by you know this this idea and uh, I'm very curious to see Sounds uh, a little bit like tabletop sim in that it, sense as well like tabletop sim being this kind of general like like physics simulator light that has certain kind of pieces designed for and like um, obviously that's much more limited towards like games and, and obviously they're using that as kind of an entry level use case, but, but that idea definitely has some traction, right? Like tabletop sim has done quite well in just being this like light physics sandbox 
where you can customize pieces. And, and I think if you bring in the UGC side of that stuff, I think that'll be really cool if that's something they're intending to do for, for the same reason as tabletop sim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Nico, is a lot of the reason you like this so much almost similar to the to the purpose of something like a loot where you have <laughs> yeah. these assets and it is kind of like, hey, we, you have these assets, these these look great. You can go do whatever you want with them. And it seems like that's a little bit of the ethos of Magic Cave and, and it True. goes along it with the loot of, you know, we'll give you some examples of things you can do and we'll give you these primitive games, but like you aren't bound by us, go do stuff with them and the community can determine what the best use cases are. 100%, yeah. The idea is also to provide like an SDK with like the physics and because mm. certain dyes might have certain weight factors which will influence the way they roll and then they'll have dyes that like one dies in your set that if it bounces against another when you roll it is going to like I don't know, shoot it away or something so it's it's um there's all these these unique things that you can uh, that they'll implement and and yeah it's um it's it's yeah it's it, they I, I think they took inspiration from loot as well looking so, forward to um, that then 100%. that sounds cool yeah me too yeah um good then what have we, what do we have next should we talk about the open metaverse alliance <laughs> i don't know i it, it cringes me a bit to just say that, but i um, curious to have your thoughts. Yeah. Bill. Yeah. So just to re- recap on Open Metaverse Alliance, this is a group of Web3 native companies. So think like Animoca, Dapper Labs, Decentraland, and the Sandbox that are basically coming together. And I think a lot of these almost strike me as think tanks of sorts, where they want to create the guidelines of how the metaverse should be built out in, in line with interoperability transparency of data and a lot of these principles that are really important to web three. Um, I, I think it's really interesting because it comes just about a month after the launch of metaverse standards forum. Um, and while it has a pretty good mix of companies in that, that's where you find Microsoft meta Sony and the other big tech powerhouses that have been notoriously opposed or, you know, theoretically opposed to what web three means in openness, because the business models are inherently not built to allow for that, where you're basically giving away your competitive advantage. You're giving away your most important resources in the form of data. Um, and so we now almost have these two entities that are at some degree, very opposed to each other, just in terms of the participants and the motivations that they actually have from a practical perspective. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe that means that one of them comes out on, on top. Maybe that means that both of them are really just kind of think tanks that put out ideas but have a hard time enacting anything based off of them. Um, I mean, I think both of them are fostering important conversations to have. And I think the, the question is more on the the action as a result of those those conversations than you know the merits of the conversations themselves. I think there's a pretty important divide though, which is the Web three question. So when you look at the the uh, Open Metaverse Alliance, it's all Web three companies basically, right? Um, whereas on the other side, it's mostly not. In fact. Uh, some of them are actively hostile to it in the sense of like, let's say you take Microsoft, you had the recent Minecraft announcement and a lot of people forget, you know, Minecraft is under Microsoft. Now, that probably wasn't a Microsoft decision, but they're still certainly not, they're they're certainly not pushing NFTs from the top down if if Minecraft's making those kind of decisions. And while I don't think Sony's like made a lot of stuff uh, in terms of like announcements uh, around how they feel about it, you did see that recent one with their stars collection where they were like, it's definitely not NFTs. So they don't seem very NFT friendly or very Web3 friendly either. And, And maybe this is all just focused on NFT hate right now. But at the same time, like you very much have this this very big difference in terms of what the metaverse means. Uh, between those two in terms of how much blockchain, for example, is involved in it. And I think that also speaks to some of the underlying ethos, right? Because the underlying ethos of the blockchain stuff is this decentralization, this openness, stuff like that. And and the metaverse stuff is supposed to be about these discussions of of openness and standards. And so clearly in a lot of ways, the the one with all the big heavy hitters in it is very, very biased and very... not pro-openness at the end of the day, no matter what they say, with the exception of possibly Epic. They're the one possible, like, helpful company in there, at least based off what Tim Sweeney says, right? We'll see what their actions say. Uh, But Tim Sweeney in general has been very friendly, for the most part, towards a lot of openness. Uh, You know, sometimes literally spending, you know, a lot of money in court to battle for it, even if, yeah, sure, they have their own incentives there, right? It's not literally like some big Epic uh, hero battle. But they, they do at least, you know, ha- speak a little bit up for our favor, 
Whereas like, I, I don't see Microsoft and Sony, uh, and Meta really fighting for openness. They're they're saying that, but it's like, where's the where's the open Facebook APIs that I can do whatever I want with, right? Like Meta Meta doesn't really clearly want openness. Like the whole point of Quest is the closed store. Like you have to sideload everything else. Like they're not like no matter what Zuckerberg says, they're not about openness. Like they're about opening the door long enough to shut it behind you when you come inside. Like that's about it. Uh, so. I think that's the big problem right there. As much as I would love to say uh, the Open Metaverse Alliance will, you know, will hopefully save us all, it's a bunch of individual games for the most part. Outside of like Animoca and Dapper, it's mostly one-offs like Splinterlands and like Sandbox. I don't even know if Sandbox counts because they're under Animoca, so it's like you have company like underneath another company and they're both signing it just to get an extra signature essentially on there. Uh, I don't think an individual game is going to have enough weight to throw around to make any real impact. Uh, other than like hey, we're gonna build these things and then and then we're gonna push them out there and try and get people to use them, but unfortunately, as um as Raf Koster kind of put it in that recent interview with Aaron uh, Bush over at the, the Novik Metacast as well, uh, I I I really look up to Raf Koster because he's got the experience and been deeply involved in this space for a long time, and is not just some new guy coming around like trying to pitch VCs like he actually knows what he's talking about for the most part, and it, it, his whole point about like that generally the winners of these sorts of things are the big companies that decide this is what's going to happen uh, and throw their money behind it or whatever. And it's not like you haven't seen like Sony, for example, in Standard Wars uh, against Microsoft, right? It's funny to see them on the same side. Because you remember HD uh, DVD versus Blu-ray, how big of a battle that was? Uh, it, like that was just like this epic fight between those two. And it got pretty like pretty uh, drag out, you know, bare knuckle fight towards the end where Sony just barely won that Blu-ray battle. And I, I have a feeling it's like a similar kind of thing where it starts out everyone playing nice and then they start getting dirty towards the end in terms of like throwing their money around, trying to make something happen regardless whether it should or not. And we have plenty of examples of, of so many standards set that way that I would love to be optimistic about this, but the signatures of the, the OMA3 just they don't scream like success to me, unfortunately. And maybe we'll get more like this. Maybe it won't just be the OMA three. Maybe there'll be more that are sort of like fighting for other uh, standards and stuff. But at the end of the day, like the, the big problem with all this is no one knows what the hell the word metaverse means, anyways. So you you can't really set standards yet. Like everyone's just kind of a little full of it right now and just trying to like talk and like you said, maybe think tank a little bit. Uh, I I think these conversations are absolutely worth having though. I just don't think a lot's going to come out of them that's going to be beneficial anytime soon. And so you would give it to the Web2 Giants over the... If I was the, betting, the yeah. Coming, if, um, if I had my preference, absolutely not. But yeah, if I was betting, I would put my money yeah. on where the money's at. That's fair. Um, although they do have some money, but not as much money as, as uh, the, the, the real, real big guys. Um, and so... What do you see come out of like let's say Oma three right? So these guys, they're you know Animoca, they're, they're the Sandbox, the Central Land, they're, they're all the the big names you would uh, we're talking about here. Um, what do you think would they, like their prior, will their priority be? Will it be some some like ERC seven twenty one type standard? Um, is that what we're talking about? So, and um, what, what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, blockchain, for sure. Blockchain based yeah. standards that would represent like. A sword. There will be like a standard for a sword um, that is like where more of the logic of the sword is is encoded in the blockchain. Yeah. What do you think, Phil? <laughs> this is a hard question. Hey, you're the infrastructure <laughs> guy, man. You should, yeah. You should no, have I mean, about this. I mean, it's interesting because this is, this entire question of interoperability is split into like the technical problem of. Can I get these assets to move across different design types? Can I get it to go from 2D to 3D seamlessly? And that's its own that's its own thing. And you know, do I do I see people working on that? Absolutely. And I think that the technical problem will have a lot of really smart people working on it. And I do think eventually that is a bridge that will likely be crossed. I think the honestly the the bigger challenge just because it deals with human nature is the collaborative aspect of this. And I do think that OMA 3 is more likely to have action attempted based on the conversations they have. Because again, as, as mentioned, all of these groups are Web3 native. 
they're they're much more open to to being on chain to having assets move across across chain freely because these are assets owned by the players that want to take them from point a to point b and so i think that the people or the, the groups that are part of oma3 are much more aligned on that and so i think it will be more likely that they will try to go for meaningful adoption whereas on the uh, the metaverse standards forum side i just think there, there's so many different agendas and like rightfully so to an extent i mean these are these are corporations these are businesses and they they serve their shareholders and their stakeholders and so you know it's kind of a, a dog eat dog world and um that's just that's just kind of how it works um so i do think we're more likely to see the collaboration bridge um at least attempted to be crossed by by oma3 I really just don't see that happening on the metaverse standards forum side. I think that will be more like a traditional think tank where everyone tries to appear to be very friendly to the consumer and then in the background does what's best for themselves. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that technical challenge will honestly probably be solved before the people are willing to, to really adopt it at scale um, unless the OMA3 participants continue to, to steal away users. Because as of right now, the users are on the metaverse standards forum side, not the OMA3 side. Um, so even if they solve the problem, is there anyone there to solve it for once solved? I, I guess if, 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 if they want to win, what they need to do really is like come up with the stuff that they think should be the thing and then convince the big players and Microsoft and Sony and stuff like that, that somehow it's in their best financial interest to support that. Uh, you know, you speak dollars and cents in there, and I think that starts to convince them, right? Because, like, there's – so, like, I grew up as the internet was kind of being built, right? Like, because I'm a bit older, and, like, there was, like, not much internet, and then, like, it slowly kind of grew. And that was a very standards-based thing, but a lot of those standards, like, some of them were very well put together, engineering kind of standards, and, you know, you TCP IP and all that kind of stuff. And then there was stuff that was just a lot more Wild West hacked together, whoever got there first or whoever built up enough, you know, to, to get things going – and so it's, but that was like later maturation, matru, I guess, mature. I don't know how to say that maturization word without sounding stupid, I guess. Um, but that was like later stage essentially, right? So like maybe maybe we can have a situation where uh, like in the early stages here, especially in the Web3 web early stages, there's still room for people to make impacts and build up standards. So like you take NFTs, right? That was a standard that was like, kind of basically pushed by crypto kitties essentially like I, i'm sure there's other people involved but that's how most people kind of know it and you know same with like you know we saw tokens being built up before that and these are kind of standards that were like built by people as they needed it and i'm sure we'll see more of that so it's like while it's still kind of early stage i think there's opportunity to build that stuff up and then just hopefully convince the big players once you get to the late stage to keep some of those things to make sure to adopt those as part of what they're doing and maybe that's the way we win is by like like kind of like you're hinting at, just build now. Just build as much as you can. Build now. Prove stuff out. Get stuff going before, because because the big players are going to be kind of indecisive for a while, and they're going to kind of squabble and try and figure out what what makes sense to them, and and like have their own little think tank research groups, and they'll take a long time to really come to any kind of conclusion, especially with that many big egos in there. And so maybe yeah, maybe that's our opportunity now to just start start getting stuff going as, as fast as we can. And I feel like that's what Animoca has been doing a lot. And so having Animoca as part of it, like whether you think they're successful or not, they've definitely thrown a ton of money behind everyone. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if everyone on that list Animoca somehow invested in um, just, just because they're invested in like everyone. And so I think a company like that is like one of the few that maybe will help us get that forward because they're so invested in like everyone uh, succeeding in that space. But uh, yeah, it's anyone's game right now. And I think just we talk about the summer building. So everyone just just fucking get to it. <laughs> Start building so we can get there fast before they have a chance to decide what's going to be the future. It is funny, too. It's worth noting. <laughs> um, after the Metaverse Standards Forum came out, I remember seeing things about Yacht from, from Animoca talking about how it was totally like a, a paper tiger and none of these groups were aligned to do this. So it does kind of feel like a direct response. I mean, that might be semi-obvious, but just comments made back then do make this feel very much like a, hey, you guys aren't actually going to do anything. Let's be the think tank of action versus just the, the theorizers in the back room. Okay. So in a few months, we do a podcast. We get Mark Zuckerberg. We get Yat. And then we get Vitalik. 
and then uh, we see, uh, you know, if, if they can agree to uh, who's going to win. That would get some clicks uh, uh, that discussion. way. That would get clicks indeed. Yeah, good. All right, what else? Uh, we don't have much time yeah. left, right, Devin? you gotta, you got to roll. Um, should we touch upon very quickly semi-fungible tokens? Did you have time to, to look into it a bit? So Magic Eden introduces semi-fungible tokens. What does that mean? Well, I mean, fungible just means they're they're equally, you know, you can divide them and every piece is basically the same. Whereas like non-fungible, every piece is unique. And then there's that space in between where it's like uh, a copy of something that may be unique. Like, like uh, you know, we hear this like uh, idea in say, um, you're doing blockchain RPG and uh, everyone has like the great sword or the broadsword or whatever, right? Like it doesn't need to be unique. It just needs yeah. to be a copy of the broadsword. So it's like you, you almost treat that kind of thing as a template uh, that you're copying or a blueprint yeah. rather than a unique specific item. Right. And that, that does have impact on how much you have to store on the blockchain, for example, like how much it costs to do stuff, how, uh, cumbersome it is to deal with that. Uh, cause like tokens are on the far end where it's very easy. You just go, this person has this many tokens and that's all you really need to store. Whereas on the NFT side, you're storing like a lot of information because each one needs to be unique. And so I think there's that space in the middle ground. And it's, I think it's cool to see more support for that sort of thing on uh, marketplaces and stuff like that because we are starting to see more games doing stuff uh, along those lines because they realize when it comes to games, it makes a lot of sense actually to have semi-fungible tokens too because having everything unique is mm -hmm. unnecessary for a lot of games, right? Like it just doesn't make sense. I mean, even if you have cosmetics, most of the time the cosmetics are based off like a blueprint that everyone's copying and applying to another thing that's also not unique. Uh, so I think... I, I, I'm actually really happy to see more and more standards evolve because, like, remember we just had tokens, and then NFTs had to be invented, and then semi-fungible like tokens. Like, I, I look forward to more of these things where we come up with more use cases. Like, not obviously like earlier where I said where we come up with a solution and then try and come up with a problem, but there are more problems out there to solve with this technology that we need to figure out like exactly how we do it. Like, I remember when we, there was the the push for like. Uh, NFT standard where you could get a refund, which ironically that company had to use because they went under right after uh, on that game, which is very unfortunate. But I, I do hope that we, uh, on the, the topic of building standards, that we keep pushing that stuff forward. But it, it does depend on uh, the support of these marketplaces. Like OpenSea supporting a lot of these things, like for image displaying and stuff like that. PFPs wouldn't be where they are today if marketplaces weren't supplying or uh, supporting ways to display those. Right. Like the, those kinds of things, the support of the, the sort of pseudo decentralized or semi centralized stores supporting these different standards uh, does matter a lot. So when, when it comes to standards, like they're only as good as people support them. And so I think it is good to see Magic Eden doing that. Uh, I'm sure we'll see OpenSea do that if they don't already. Um, and then whatever the next type of token is. Are we um, are we talking about because there's two ways Magic Eden, Eden so I didn't read the article and probably I probably should have but I, I see two ways in which a company like Magic Eden can get involved or can so anyway semi fungible tokens right as you said they are um, NFTs but that are actually the same and the only thing unique about them would be like a unique identifier right your sort of truth is the same as my sort of truth but you have sort of truth number 1,200 and, and I have number... Chances are there'll also be a limited number like uh, of them usually, right? That's another thing that you can do that you couldn't necessarily do with just like yeah, a yeah, copy yeah. of a sword in a game, generally. Yes. And so, but my, and, and my, my question is, um, is this, are we talking about a new standard? Like, you know, Magic Eden works on Solana, so is this like a new and if, like Solana standard? Or is Magic Eden providing support for automated market makers, so liquidity pools for these semi-fungible tokens, because that's another way in which they could be, you know, working with this. And the, and the interesting thing about that is, if you currently look at OpenSea, if if you want to sell like one of these in-game items, which there might be a thousand of, you have like, oh, item X is for sale for 0.1 ETH, and item, you know, Y is for sale for 0.12 ETH, etc instead of having like, oh, I want to buy one and there's a liquidity pool that people have put these assets in. Um, and, and I think that's actually going to be a pretty, that's a very useful tool, right? A liquidity pool for non-fungible or semi-fungible assets. Uh, and so my question is, are we talking about a new asset standard or are we talking about these kind of new trading innovations, which would make sense for a My assumption is like that it's like 1155s or whatever, uh, 
like that already semi-fungible token standard. Um, but I, I didn't actually see if it specified the standard on that or not. But I do agree. Like, I think I think you make a good point. AMM stuff is a great use case. Like, I always look at, like, Crypto Raiders, right? The way they um, took some of the craft mats and made them ERC-20 tokens, and then you could swap them on SushiSwap for the, the other in-game token and stuff like that. But that, like, that only scales so far when you're doing everything as ERC-20 tokens. Like, there is, like, room for them to be a multitude of different types of equipment and things like that. And I, and I have had that problem sometimes with when you're trying to buy something on say open C and it's not truly a unique thing, but you do have to deal with every transaction as if it's a unique thing. You can't just like buy from a pile of them essentially. And that is a big problem. And I do, I do agree that like AMM supporting that is actually a great thing to have. If it doesn't already exist, it should, because like having to have a counterparty at all times, like having to have the eBay sort of thing to buy those is not super scalable in the way that we want it to be, right? And it's not really as decentralized as we want. So I, I totally agree with you that, that that's something that absolutely should exist if it doesn't already. I think um, it's it's been worked on by the guys of Horizon Blockchain Games. So Horizon Blockchain Games, they're the people behind... Um, what's the game called again? Uh, their wallet software is called Sequence, mm -hmm. and their game is called... Skyweaver? Well, guys, help me out here. Skyweaver. Skyweaver, that's it. Thank you. Um, anyway, so they have built Nifty Swap. So Nifty mm -hmm. Swap, and that is a um, a decentralized swap protocol for ERC-1155 tokens. Um, and so that, that does exactly what we described. But I don't think like a business has been built on it, or at least like, I haven't seen many use cases for this um, swap protocol. It's open source. So I guess like OpenSea could theoretically implement it pretty fast. Um, let's see how that plays out. Absolutely. I look forward to more standards. I want to see what the next big Dude. hot thing is. So, uh, yeah, AMMs for this stuff Honestly, is, is like, a cool, cool I idea. I kind of hate if, like, every week we talk about standards because standards is not ex as exciting right. as talking about. We're in that games, period, though. So. We're, we're in that period yeah, where, like, it, in order to get people doing stuff, we have to say this is how you should do it so people can copy that because people, like, are really kind of – I mean, there's only so many people, like, really coming up with novel things or smart things. And we do need the the other people that are not coming up with those smart things to either copy them or support them. So I think that's probably part of the reason we end up in this kind of standards sort of rabbit hole a lot. But yeah, mm -hmm. probably probably be a good idea to talk about more specific things. Okay, so you know Devin's gonna start hosting his own standards. But what standard will I use for that? Um, just talk about the question. Standards. What standard Sorry? will I use for that? What standard will you use? For That'll that? be the topic of debate. Oh, every every episode will be a Sorry. different standard. Okay, let's. I think I think it's time to call this uh, an episode because um, you know the, the bad jokes are coming out. Um, good, Devin, Phil, thank you so much for joining. Uh, this was really fun. People, if you were listening, if you liked it, let us know. Um, join the Discord if you haven't already. Be part of the fog down. Um, and also, if you want to suggest us, because we're doing these weekly roll-ups. If you like this, let us know. If you have suggestions, let us know as well. And if we can do other things as well, right? So I plan on getting. Um, because we didn't touch upon it, Star Atlas versus Illuvium debate. I've interviewed Michael Wagner from Star Atlas. I haven't talked to the Illuvium dude, um, Kieran, yet. But I um, plan on doing that in the next weeks or so. Um, but we can do more stuff like that. Uh, we have pretty good network, so we can get some uh, smart people on talk about the stuff. Raf's going to be on here Ooh. as well, Devin. Um, I, I need to be that. here for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raf on, on Web3. Wow. Raf riffs on Web3. That's, that's a goal. Anyway. Exciting stuff to happen in the future. Um, we'll make that work. If you have any suggestions for that, let us know. And with that, um, yeah, join the Discord. 